and fights come from, listen, among you. That means the church. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? For you lust and you do not have. You murder, and the idea is in your heart, and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. In fact, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. (laughs) Uh, Listen to James here. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is at enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain? For the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, (laughs) you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn. And weep, the idea is over your sin. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And do not speak evil of one another, brethren. For he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law I'm sorry, and speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law and a judge. For there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time that vanishes away? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good as he does Not do it to him that is sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your servant James. Thank you for his heart, Lord, to instruct and to correct the church. And so, Lord, we thank you for our time. We ask, Lord, that you would give us your wisdom so that we would have understanding of the passage. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever heard someone say something like this, if only we could go back to the early church? Why? They were a mess. James rebukes, did you see this chapter? James rebukes the church and says, what are you doing? You're fighting with one another. You're warring against one another. In your heart, you want to kill the person next to you in the chair. Not here probably somewhere else, just not here, right? And you look at this section of Scripture, and you're like, well, how did we even get here? So let's turn back to chapter 3, and we saw that wisdom was from above. But let's pick it up in verse 17 to get a running start. He says, but the wisdom that is from above, contrasting from earthly wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Now listen to these attributes as we journey into the next chapter. Remember, no chapter breaks. So he's telling us what we need to have operating in our life, and yet we get to the next chapter, and it's like we forgot chapter 3. He said it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. And then he says, but where do your wars and fights come from among you? 
James here is not speaking of those on the outside. He is speaking to those on the inside, to the church, to the brethren. And he says, why are you guys fighting? In fact, he's going to tell them the answer to the question of why do you have wars and uh, fighting among you. Notice he says, do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war in your members? It's interesting. He says, the question is, where do these come from? Why are there problems in the church? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to give you the easy, and then we can all go home. Ready? We're all sinners. Amen? Okay, you got that? So we're all sinners, and so we, as we see all throughout the New Testament, we love it when God gives us his grace and his mercy. We just have got to start doing a better job of giving that back. And then, amen, ready for it, not let things offend us so much as it is in our culture today. And note, you know what? That person who said something really dumb to me and hurtful, maybe they're under construction as a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe they're not perfect like Jesus. You got that? And as you, if you have a different mindset in the church, then things won't get to you as much as it used to. Amen? That is the whole goal, is to get through this life as a believer, to hear the trumpet blow, then hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord, thank you that I didn't let the junk of those people get to me and have a quality of life issue. Why would you allow people to have control over you in that way? Do you see that? I give no one the power over my life other than Christ, so don't you do the same. We freely offer that to people, and I don't understand why we do that. (laughs) Like, uh, all right, I'm going to leave that there. We're going to get into this. He says... Where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war within your members, not only in the body, but inside of your own body? Now, that word desire, if you take note, this is just our Greek tonight. There's a, there was a ton of Greek in here that I was going to pull out. Then I thought, no, we'll just go with the first one. That word desire is where we get our word hedonistic from. Now, isn't that funny, the word that, that James chooses to use to describe people in the body of Christ? I thought this was supposed to be all, hey, it's like A.D. 40 or 50, and we should, well, J- Jesus was just here. We've got the Holy Spirit. Everything should be great. But think about the letters that Paul has to write to the Corinthians pretty much every letter had some correction in it. And so he says, do they not come from your own hedonistic desires? And the idea is to use it on yourself and your own self-pleasures above the needs of others. So we are, are you ready for it? I'm going to shock everybody. We're selfish. Shocking. James says if we weren't so selfish and we weren't so worried about our rights and our being offended or our whatever, remember what I said a couple of weeks ago, we call ourselves servants of Jesus Christ, but what happens when somebody treats you like a servant? Oh, how dare you? Well, wait a minute. I thought you were a servant of the Most High God. A servant's job is to make somebody else's life better. That's the whole goal of the bond servant. So why are you worrying and banging heads with others? Oftentimes because your needs become supreme above all else or somebody else's. So we war against somebody else inside of the body because we think that our needs are not being met. They're not hearing me. They're not listening to me. I I know what you're thinking. I thought, is this a marriage study? It is kind of the same, isn't it? They're not listening to me. They're not all of these things that happen, but in the body of Christ as well. So we often feel like, 
I'm not having my needs met. This is the problem with the me church today. Where people come in and they say, okay, pastor, you got 30 minutes to wow me. And if you don't, I'll go down the street and I'll find somewhere else that will. And I have itching ears. And I want the church to have a certain this and a certain that. And that coffee better be really good. And that children's ministry better be, you know, whatever. And my kids better get saved in three minutes as they walk in the door. And all of these things that people put on churches. How about humbly, as we'll see in a minute, come in and want to serve rather than be served. My job as as your shepherd is to teach you God's word, to equip you to live out this crazy world in which we live in without completely freaking out. Amen? To share with others the same hope in Jesus Christ, not in men. And James says, hey, listen, um, stop worrying about your own desires, your own hedonistic um, fleshly desires and serve one another. Kind of sounds like something we heard from Jesus. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8. I don't know about you, but I really want to pick James's brain in heaven. Don't you? Like, at what point, James, did you start hearing all of Jesus' sermons? And then it starts, it's just like, oh, oh, I'm an idiot. Uh, this one's good. I'm going to put this in my message. It, listen to what he, he remembers from his half-brother, fully God, fully man, Jesus. Luke 8, verse 9. And his disciples asked him and said, what does this parable mean? And it's the parable of the soils. And he says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest of them it's been given to parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now this parable is like this. For the seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the one that falls on the rock are those who hear and receive the word with joy, and these sadly have no root, who believe for a while and then in time of temptation fall. And here's where we want to be, verse 14. Now, the one that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and here's our word, pleasures of this life. It's the same word, hedonistic. Jesus says to them, You're so worried about the things of this world. Now, James is going to expand this whole idea of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's go back to James 4. And I know I said it before. I'm going to say it again. The the essence of sin is selfishness, me, self. Eve disobeyed God because she wanted to eat of the tree and become wise like God. Abraham lied about his wife because he selfishly wanted to save his own life rather than trusting in God. Achan caused defeat to come to Israel because he selfishly took some of the forbidden loot from the ruins of Jericho. Isaiah 53.6 says, We have turned everyone to his own way. Often we veil our religious quarrels under this disguise of spirituality. And you're going to see this idea of warring with each other, but oftentimes we make it sound so spiritual, like when Miriam and Aaron complained about Moses' wife, but it really wasn't about Moses' wife. It was about Moses having too much control. Let me give you a a little tip here. When people complain, there's always something behind that. It's rarely that. It's something else. 
So that's just free. <laughs> uh, what about James and, and John who come to Jesus and want to sit on his right hand and on the left? And if that didn't work, they brought mom involved. You see, Miriam's sin halted the progress of Israel for a whole week. So too, our sins can hamper ministry, verse 1, going on inside of the church. Why? Because of our own hedonistic pleasures that war within your members. Verse 2. Now you lust. Now this is a different word. It's not the same word. But you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet. Now, he's not saying they're really murdering or they would be in jail by the Romans. Everybody got that? That's called common sense. But Jesus said, hey, if you have hate in your heart, it's like murdering somebody. And so they have hate in their heart, and they covet, and they cannot obtain. Why can't we be okay with somebody else having a new car? Right? I know none of you do that. Someone got a new house, a new this or new that. We covet. Remember, covetousness is wanting more of what you already have. So if you've got a vehicle and it's still going forward, <laughs> amen, thankfully, then don't worry about it. Say, Lord, thank you for blessing them. Can I get a little bit of that as well? I mean, why can't we just praise God and what God is doing in somebody else's life without saying, why not me? says, you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. That is a general principle. Let's just take that out for, for a minute. For a minute. You, we often do not have because we do not ask God. That is a general principle. Well, I, wanna, I want a closer walk with God. Have you asked? I want to do this, or I want to do that in ministry. I want to serve. Well, have you asked? You do not have because you do not ask. Now, James will say, those who do ask often ask amiss. He says, you, you ask and you do not receive because you ask it amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes we use prayer as a cloak to hide our true desires. But I prayed about it, people often say. Someone, did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed about it. But I prayed about it can be one of the biggest excuses a Christian can use. Instead of really seeking God's will, we tell God what he is supposed to do for us, and then we get angry at him when he doesn't obey what we want him to do. Does that sound like anybody? God, why are you not doing what I ask you to do? Um, because I'm all-powerful and the creator, and I don't have to listen to you. I mean, this is how I think God talks to me oftentimes. Like, what's the matter of you? You go create a universe. I mean, uh, I have somebody that I know, and I'm not going to dive deep into this topic, but... There is something, there's a movement inside of the church, the word faith movement, where if I just ask God and I have enough faith that he is going to give it to me and I'm going to have this car and this house and this and that. And, and I, I saw something in this person I know uh, that seemed very bummed out all the time. Why were they bummed out all the time? Because they weren't getting what they wanted from the magic genie. You see, God is going to give us that which he knows will not only bring him glory, but prosper you in your walk with God. Notice how he didn't say prosper your bank account. Because that's nowhere in the Bible that God is going to give us whatever. Just name it and claim it. I mean, there are guys, I don't even want to go down this path, but listen, you know, money come to me. That's what they say. God help them see the light of their air. He says, 
you ask because it's a miss. This anger then at God eventually spills over and we get angry at God's people. (laughs) Why? Because it seems like they're having a good walk or they're getting something, but you're not getting what you're asking from God. So you start coming to church with that Eeyore attitude and you're a little put off all the time and you're just pushing people away and pretty soon you're... Well, maybe you're in the back in the picnic table listening over to the speaker because you can't be around God's people anymore. More than one church split has been caused by saints who take out their frustrations with God on the members of the church. Many a church or a family problem would be solved if people would only look into their own hearts and see the battles that are raging there instead of bringing them into the house of God. Do you see James? He's like, man, just deal with it at home. Don't bring that here in the body of Christ. And so you ask and you do not receive because you ask it amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. And then he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is at enmity or odds with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I, it's like James, yeah, that's a no-brainer. But he felt it important by the Spirit to tell us, listen, if you are going down this path and you're angry at God and you're warring with members, you're going to slowly go down to a path that you're just a friend of the world. And he goes, you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is at odds with God? So, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, why why is that fascinating to me? Because we have churches that want to be more worldly. And it's like, would you open up James? James says, if you want to be more worldly, then you're not going to be a, for our purposes, a Christian church. You're going to be no different than some other secular organization. You cannot have both. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. And so we need to listen to the direction of the the Lord and not the world, no matter what the world says that we as the church should do, listen, we listen to God. We don't listen to the world, and we certainly don't listen to the government who tells us to violate our own scripture. Why would I do that? Eh, I'll leave that there. (laughs) He says, now listen, verse 5 is two different verses, but they put it into one. He says, or do you not think that the scripture says in vain? The idea is, do you not believe God's word when it says, if you want to be a friend of the world, you're at enmity with God? You you can't have both. But then he says, the spirit, notice that it's capitalized, hopefully in your Bible, means the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Isn't that good to know? I love that James says that, and I love that that is an early doctrinal position inside of the church. He says, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. What is the application? Well, because as we get closer to the world and more friendly with the world, God says, hey, I used to have a a relationship with you. Listen, we all had that friend, right, that slowly pulled away, and then eventually you didn't know where they were. You're like, I thought we were friends. Now, just do your best to kind of think that on an earthly level, let alone a heavenly level, and what that's like. That God saved us, and we were excited that he pulled us out of the miry pit and set our feet upon the rock, but then eventually, well, we stopped going to church, or we stopped doing this, or we stopped praying, or we stopped giving, or we stopped helping in VBS that's coming up very soon. Thank you for you VBS helpers. And all of these things that we used to do, but then we start pulling away slowly at God. What do you think he's doing? Our God is jealous. He wants a relationship 
with us. Verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is the number one sin. That was the first sin, that Satan's sin. That has always been the issue. Man is a prideful human. Well, he is just a prideful man, isn't he? We have to uh, always put on check our pride. And so if we lay that down, well, then God gives us the grace that we need. And so in verse 7 through 10, James does something that are in the Greek imperatives. Now, an imperative in the Greek is something that needs to be done, always to be done, and it's basically your orders from your king. So the first one he's going to say, submit to God. Now, in the military, you, well, you give up who you are. (laughs) And you fall in line to whatever the man tells you in rank over you, right? Be a sergeant or a captain or whatever they, it doesn't matter how smart they are. It has everything to do with ranking. And when you sign up for that, that's what you get. So don't expect not to, like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen when you join the military? Well, I thought, you know, it was going to be really cool. We were going to have camo, you know. And these ideas that people have, guys, it's the same thing in the church. People have these ideas of what happens when they become a believer. Then they become a believer, and their whole world flies upside down. It's in topsy-turvy. The enemy is after them. They get flat tires almost every week. They lost their job. They this and that. And they just, why do I even do this? I'll just go back to the world. So verses 7 through 10 are imperatives. These are must be dones, and that is good English. And they are ongoing throughout our day and our life. There are 10 of them. I want you to take note of them. Ten imperatives that you don't have a choice. It comes from our boss, and it comes from our commander-in-chief. Amen? So he just says, "Ah, look, you said yes to Jesus. Here's the fine print. Therefore, submit to God. That's number one. I'm going to give you the ten, then we'll come back. So, submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, lament, mourn, weep, be turned, and then humble. These things are imperatives. These are the things that we must do as believers. And the first one is submit to God. So, in light of the grace offered to the humble, James says, there is only one thing that you and I can do, which is submit to God. This means in order, I'm sorry, this means to order yourself under God. It means to surrender to him as a conquering king and start receiving the benefits of his reign. We are the king's kids, but we are also soldiers in God's army, and we need to fall in line. Paul talks about the unruly, you know what that word means? Stepping out of line. When someone is unruly in the body, they are stepping out of line. They are not following the master's orders or his commands. So he tells us first that we have to submit. This means, are you ready for it? This is a daily submission to the king. Well, I don't feel like doing it. Then you shouldn't have signed up. Daily, I have to submit to God. This is something... Okay, so do you see how he's tying it to the beginning of the verse 1? Why do I have wars and problems? Because I'm not submitting to God and I'm out of order. I'm not doing what he says, which is laying down my rights or being the servant, right? Others-centered. So, I submit to God. What's the next one? Resist the devil and he will flee (laughs) from you. Now, 
uh, th- this is not like resist the actual devil because the devil doesn't care about you. He's got other people he's worried about. We're going to see that in Revelation. He's on world leaders. There is some really ugly, ugly demon that's assigned to you, right? And you and I can resist evil. Resist comes from two Greek words. Take note, stand and against. So we need to stand against the forces of evil. James tells us that we can do that. We can resist evil. Listen, what I find interesting is that anybody who just, let's say, they just gave their heart to the Lord on Sunday, they don't know anything, they don't know any scripture, they don't know anything, they can stand in the face of the devil and say, flee. And stand on the promises of the Lord. Do you know that you and I, greater is he that is in me than that guy in the world, I was paraphrasing, than he that's in the world. You and I have the power to tell that guy, get out of here. Now listen, the Bible has, tells us to be respectful of that too. Be respectful of the devil. But we can resist that. The, this is what that word means. It means to set oneself against, to with to withstand, to resist, or to, I like this one, to oppose. Listen, in the world in which we live in, I think it's very important that the world oppose evil. I think we, the church, are the only ones equipped to oppose evil. We can see it. We know it. The world is delusional. They can't often see the evil, but we can So we need to oppose that evil. Verse 8, he says, draw near to God. So this is an imperative. As a believer, it is our role, our position. By the way, do you see all of these that we have to do on a daily basis? Do you feel yourself away from God? It's not his fault. It's your fault. There's a story of a couple of old timers in a car and they had a bench seat. Remember the bench seats, right? Maybe you had a, a, a Nova or a Camaro or something early on. And uh, by the way, don't armor all those seats. You'll fly right off of them, <laughs> right out the door. <laughs> but I miss the bench seats myself, but you know, you can't have fun anymore in this world. And so the story is these two old timers are, they're driving down the road again and the, the old guy, he's driving and the, the wife is sitting all the way on the other side of the bent seat. And she, she's looking around at the other cars and she says, why don't we sit next to each other anymore? He goes, I didn't move. <laughs> he's driving. Did I have to point that out really? Oh, God has the wheel. We, t- we are the ones who move. And so it's imperative for us to draw near to God. He says, draw near to God. Listen to the promise and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Now, I love this. This tells us that we have a responsibility. We need to get, how many of you remember, then they still make it, lava soap, right? Got pumice in, I don't care who you are, it's the, the best soap to get, I mean, just, it's amazing soap. Using it for decades, right? You gotta cleanse your hands. You're working on something dirty like the world and you come in to cleanse your hands. Cleanse. Clean your hands. That's my responsibility. I confess my sins to God, and he is faithful and just. That's why John 1.9 is called the shower for the believer. So God cleanses us. He says, cleanse your hands. Don't you love it that James just wants to put everyone on the same page? Because you're sinners, that's why. You're in the world. You're living in the world. 
and we need to. Uh, the, that is why midweek service is so important. Man, whatever your week is like, I got to get clean. I got to come and hear the washing of the water of the word. He says, then purify your hearts to make it clean. He says, you double-minded. Those who think that they can be in the world and be with, with the Lord at the same time, you can't have both. Then he tells us, <laughs> it's kind of heavy, James. He says, lament, mourn, and weep. And you need to, this isn't James saying that we just need to be this all the time, but it is the idea of our own sin and the sin that's in this world. So to lament, mourn, and weep over this planet. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Now, there are times where there needs to be a seriousness. And then there are times, as we know, that joy comes in the morning. We, we sang that tonight. He says, turn your mourning and your joy to gloom. And then verse 19, he says, uh, 19, wow, they're not even 19 in there. I just invented more verses. <laughs> verse 10, he says, humble yourself in whose sight? Not man's. You know, why does James say humble yourself in the sight of the Lord? Because when you're in God's presence, the only thing you can do is, like John, fall, fall you know, flat on his face before the Lamb. The only present, the only, let me say, the only position is like David who falls flat before the Lord and he says, created me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and then what? He will lift you up. And then you wish he didn't say this, but he did. Don't speak evil of another. Oh, but Lord, it's so fun. I love to confess my neighbor's sins. Oh, wait, that's not how the verse goes? Do not speak evil of one another. He who speaks evil of a brother, that means a person in the body of Christ, blood-bought, and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And then he just, because you can't fight with this, he goes, there's only one lawgiver. That means, are you ready for it? The Holy Spirit's job is taken. He doesn't need help. Let me say that again. <laughs> the Holy Spirit doesn't need help. He's got the, maybe he'd been doing it for a while. They're not a job opening. But we think, oh, we got to help them out. I think God hasn't seen this per person's particular sin. I should point it out to them. He says, there is one lawgiver who is able to destroy, I'm sorry, who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And the idea is judging their motives. Now, because Jesus says this, he says it in, I think it's uh, Matthew 7, not to judge one another, right? He uses the speck in your brother's eye while you got a telephone pole in your eye, imagine swinging that thing around trying to help anybody. But then further on down, he tells us to judge each other's fruit, that we can see if they're a believer. We don't judge their motives, but we can see what their lifestyle produces. Now, verse 13, as he wraps it up, he says, come now. And obviously, this has been going on because he hears of it and then he addresses it. And he's talking about those who are believers who are in business. He says, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Now, you, you read verse 13, and from an earthly standpoint, you're like, that's gold. That's brilliant. This guy is doing his five-year plan in business, right? Whatever they teach you. I didn't take business class, but I know that there's always a plan. You always have to submit a plan. I, thank God I didn't take any of that. 
But this is not run-of-the-mill business. James says, but now you're a believer. Now you're a Christian businessman, and now things are different. Now you run them by not what the world says, but what God says. Because God may have a different plan for your business or a different way of doing it. Notice he says to make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time and then is gone? Poof, vanishes away. He says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I don't know if you've picked this up, but I say this quite often. I'll say, hey, we're going to be in Revelation this or that uh, if the Lord wills, right? If the Lord wills, we'll be together next time. Because if, if the Lord wills that we're gone, I'm super okay with that. I can't wait to get out of this third rock from the sun. He says, instead, and do you see what James is saying? He says, as a believer, my thought process changes to the priorities of the commander-in-chief rather than who I used to be. I used to be commander-in-chief, so did you. So now we change to, hey, if the Lord wills to do this or that, I quote Pastor Chuck. Boy, I miss Pastor Chuck. The wisdom that would come from that man, we're just, we just thank the Lord for him. But he's, he's, in, he's in heaven, and man, he's got the better seat right now. But he would often say about a project, and I'm so thankful that he would say this. He would say, hey, we're not praying we get it, but we're not praying we're not get it. We just want to be in the Lord's will. If you use that in your life, it'll be great because then you won't be disappointed. If it doesn't go your way, can I tell you, let me, I'll tell you a little sausage making behind the door with Arrowwood. Everything that, we, uh, that I thought or the men thought that was going to happen with Arrowwood has not happened at all. Absolutely zero of that has happened. Well, except the born is pretty much done. We're working on cabins coming up. Pray for that. We're, and thank God, lumber prices have started to drop right when we're about to build these cabins. But nothing in the plans of what we thought, and I love that. It's like, okay. And I'll tell you what is even better than that because it's important for you to know that God is always molding and teaching your pastor humility because uh, God does it all the time with me. It's, it's like, well, Ron, you had this plan, and that's great, but uh, COVID's coming. God knew that what was happening. He knew everything was going to shut down. He knew this was going to happen. He, Go ahead and make your plans. Oh, okay. Well, Lord, then whatever you'd have us do, would you just make that apparent to us? That we would just be in your will because all we want to see for that property is people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We just want to see transformed lives. We want to see uh, young kids off their media. Amen. We want to see adults off their media. Amen. Don't pick on the kids. You adults playing your little solitaire on your phone. I know. Lord, whatever you'd have for us. Because I'm not in charge. You are. And when you do that, and when you hand it all over to the Lord, then everything that happens isn't because of your genius. It's because of him. Let me apply it to Sunday. So we're going to have the baptism, right? We're going to have the state park. For the last 16, 17 years, we've had it at the state park every year. Never had a problem. Not once ever had a problem getting to the park right? Sometimes the lines are really long, but eventually we all get in, and we have a baptism, and then the humor of the waves of beating me up, that's all, uh, it's exciting. So then my wife walks in, second service, and says, that's not happening. They're not letting people in. 
And just for a moment, I'm like, what? Are we not supposed to baptize people, Lord? But he wanted us to trust in him. So we went on with the, the Bible study, right? And we said, hey, this is, we're going to flip a little bit. We want you to park over here. We've got people with golf carts because they live in Market Commons. We're going to shuttle people over. And it's going to be great. We're going to do this. And you know what? We didn't have a problem. Blessed are the flexible. Why did God want to do it that way? I don't know. But it's great to be dependent on him. Lord, and then we're sitting there, right? And just so you know, I rarely eat at the events because I'm usually walking around. I was just beat up out there, and I sat down. I think it was like the first time I actually had a piece of chicken at the baptism. I know what you're thinking. Tear, sadness. (laughs) What's wrong with you, Pastor? Now they put it away. We usually have it later on. But it was nice just to sit there. Was not the weather perfect? Gorgeous. Usually we're out there, we're sweating buckets, right? It's, it's the mosquitoes and flies and all of that and the weirdo tours, you know. And it was just one of those times where it was like, Lord, you're so good to us and we don't deserve it. Thank you. And I just felt myself sitting there going, thank you, Lord. I didn't have to worry at all. He had it all under control. You knew what was going to happen? I just need to stop worrying. Isn't that good news? So, James says, hey, if the Lord wills, we'll do it. If it doesn't, it's okay. He says, but now you boast in your arrogance. (laughs) And he goes, just so you know, all such boasting is evil. Okay. It's nothing but sheer arrogance that makes us think that we can live and move and have our being independent from God. As a believer, we are not independent of God. We are, we are wholly dependent upon Him. This boastful arrogance is the essence of sin and pride. And that's what, that's what fell Lucifer is arrogance and pride. And then he says, therefore, to him who knows to do good, that means knowing, hey, if the Lord wills to do good and does not do it to him, is it is a sin. So in context, to do good is to take God into every aspect of our life. To live dependently, moment by moment, upon him. If we know we should do this, yet fail to do it, then clearly we are sinning. If God has revealed that that's what I should be doing, and I do not do that, I am in disobedience to God. That's clear. Now, in a broader sense, this is important. If you know and you see something inside of the church or outside, and you know that needs to happen to do good, and yet you do not do it, you, you're sinning. You're, you're missing the mark. So in chapter 4, James has put us on trial once again. I feel like all through James, it's just like, whack, whack, wake up. He wants the church to wake up. James has put us on trial with regard to covetousness, conflict regarding evil speaking, Regarding planning without consulting the Lord, he calls us on the carpet. He tells us every day we need to submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, lament, and mourn and weep. Turn to him and be humble. The more that we do that, the more we will be able to say, Lord, Whatever you have for me, I'm just excited to be a part of it. That really flies in the face of you control freaks, isn't it? That's all right. You don't have to show your hands. I know who you are. We've marked you. You you control everything, and it's so hard to give all of that to God. But you need to hear this. When you do... The joy that comes from that, 
is so wonderful. Lord, you did the work because when we control it, just let me show you my sinful nature. Are you ready for it? Because then we can easily take credit for it. Oh, I did that. I planned that. I mean, I'm the one who did that. When it's all God, it's like, whew, man, I'm so glad he's on our side because we didn't know what we were doing. But he showed up and it happened and then we were baptizing 30 people out there. It was wonderful. And boy, that chicken was hot even when we got back. Thank you, Lord. Because we didn't put our hand to it. It was all him. Well, read ahead, Lord willing. (laughs) Next week, we'll get into you rich people. I'm talking to the people over the radio, not... Read ahead next week, James 5. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful word, for your servant, James. Lord, that we would lay aside our selfishness, our desires, our wants, and to serve others and their needs, laying down our rights often, Lord, but standing against evil, standing for righteousness. And so, Lord, thank you again for a beautiful Sunday baptism. Lord, we pray ahead of VBS. And we pray, Lord, your hand upon all those who will be serving and all the children's hearts, Lord, that everything would go according to your plan. Lord, that we would be able to get out of the way and see your hand work mightily. Thank you, Lord, for not only our radio station, Lord, but for Arrowwood, and that you would just work on that property, Lord, that you would provide, and let, Lord, we would see you do the work ahead. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. We thank you for eternal life and for your son coming out of that tomb. We We just so long to hear that trumpet blow. In Jesus' name, amen.